welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Paul Blasey, and today I'm really happy to be speaking with Dr. Dan Rome. Dan is a researcher for the US Department of Defense and an assistant professor at both Duke and Baylor universities in the USA. He is an orthopedic clinical specialist having completed a postdoctoral research fellowship at the University of Utah and was recently part of a team who evaluated the effectiveness of physiotherapy interventions versus glucocorticoid injections for managing knee osteoarthritis. The study was recently published in the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine, and he's joining us today to discuss the implications of this important research. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Congratulations, Dan, on getting published in the New England Journal of Medicine, such a prestigious journal. Clearly, a lot of work went into the project. What gave you the idea to research this in the first place, and and how did you come up with the question? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and one that has come up quite a bit. I think people are curious, why did you do this? But first, I appreciate the congratulations, but I would be remiss if I didn't also acknowledge the uh, other authors, uh, especially the primary author, Gail Dial, who really has just done a monumental effort taking this study all the way through completion. You know, the question that came up and really is we, we were seeing lots of patients that would come to the clinic and they, and it seemed like physical therapy was something that came further down the treatment line. So many patients had already said, well, I've already, you know, I've already had several injections. And it wasn't the kind of injection where, you know, hey, I just got the injection last week and my primary care manager said that this injection would help me tolerate PT better. But that's sometimes the argument that you hear, you know, well, we always do it together so that they can tolerate PT, we minimize the pain, and then they can go to physical therapy. It just seemed like so many patients were coming and they had already had a course of injections, sometimes two or three or even four injections in the last couple of years, and yet this was their first physical therapy appointment. And so we just started wondering what was driving these decisions. And perhaps we need to run a comparison trial because injections seems to be much more common And just look at the the differences between these two treatment approaches, given that this is a very common uh, intervention, it seems like. And maybe maybe there's something to it. Maybe people do get better with injections. You know, we don't, it's a harder case to make to recommend them coming to physical therapy. But um, maybe that's what the primary care community needs is to see a comparative effectiveness trial to determine or or to help them with their decision-making so that they know that, physical therapy is better, or who knows, maybe the corticosteroid injection uh, would have ended up being better. But we just, we thought it was a a relevant decision that clinicians at the primary care level are making, helping them answer this question, putting it through the scientific process might, you know, might just further their ability to to determine which one of these to utilize. There was a recent study that showed a 9.4% increase in joint arthroplasty after having an injection. Did you have any issues with just offering an injection as an intervention group? No, that's a good question. You know, one thing is that study hadn't come out then, obviously, when we put this through. That's a relatively new study. I think that the easy part was that when we look at the data, we show that patients are already getting injections without PT for the most part. So that is that already is standard of care. So getting some something through ethics when you're saying these are two standard of care interventions. There's recommendations for both of them. Some patients get one, some get the other. One of the most common comments that uh, we've received after this is out 
particularly by orthopedic surgeons and primary care providers, is this study doesn't matter. We, I always give both physical therapy and injection. I mean, there was lots of comments along the, those lines. And every time I talk to someone, it seems like their perception is that all patients get both of these things. Uh, but when you look at the data, that just isn't the case. You have the this paper by Dewan and colleagues in arthroscopy in 2004, and they looked at a cohort of over 12,000 patients in the United Healthcare database. And they looked at all of their care in the five years prior to knee replacement. Only 10% had physical therapy in the entire five years before knee replacement, while 38% had received at least one corticosteroid injection. Other data uh, by Berger, arthritis and rheumatism, 2011, cohort of 16,000 patients. They don't address the PT utilization, but 50.3% had a steroid injection in the two years prior to surgery. So half of the patients received a steroid injection. Several other studies, Bedard, JBJS, 2018, a cohort of over 1 million patients with uh, NEOA from the Humana database, and 38%, similar to the uh, other arthroscopy paper, had a steroid injection. They, again, didn't report PT use, but it seems like it aligns with that. And then another paper by in arthritis care and research, they looked at 2.4 million NEOA-related physician visits, 2007 to 2015, and there was this overall decline in PT utilization, almost 50% reduction in referrals to PT placed by orthopedic surgeons, less than 5% utilization of PT uh, from primary care. At the same time, while that's going down, there is this simultaneous increase in most pharmaceutical treatments to include corticosteroid injections. So there's just this misconception out there. The data just clearly shows that even when people get both, we looked at data from our military health system, data that I presented at, at the ORSI conference a couple of years ago. It was also, we, there was a little bit higher, about 29% physical therapy utilization and a little over 50% steroid injection, but only 12% had both. And when they had both, it didn't mean that it was at the same time. Most of them had an injection and then maybe they tried physical therapy. It was like six months or so later. So it wasn't meant to be kind of a you know, let's try this at the same time and see if the steroid injection uh, alleviates the symptoms. So from my perspective, we seem to have this perception problem where where clinicians think that they're doing both of these things, but then the data clearly shows that physical therapy utilization is very, very low and steroid injection seems to be, you know, as much as four times higher as a treatment option for patients with knee osteoarthritis. In your study, you separated both intervention groups into physiotherapy and injection, but you did mention that there were some patients who ended up getting the other intervention as well. Did you notice any additive effects when the both were put together? Everyone finished their treatment in the groups that they were supposed to finish, but we monitored additional care down the road that was outside the study. So it wasn't like within the study, as part of the study design, then they crossed over and they received another treatment. We were able to look at uh, healthcare utilization through this large repository, military uh, health system data repository. And so we did see who went on to get injections and who went on to get physical therapy. But from that perspective, seven individuals that had in the physical therapy group that ended up having a corticosteroid injection at some point after the treatment was done, and there was 14 individuals that had a uh, that had physical therapy after corticosteroid injection. As I mentioned earlier, 
we called it corticosteroid, but uh, we we were asked by the um, editors of New England Journal of Medicine to uh, to refer to it as glucocorticoid injection. So, anyways, we did run a series of sensitivity analyses, both removing those uh, in the PT group that had an injection and removing those from the injection group that had physical therapy, and it didn't change the outcomes at all. So a study in JAMA, Internal Medicine, by Henriksen and colleagues, they compared one group that had an injection before exercise therapy and another group that didn't have an injection. They both had exercise therapy, and the outcomes were no different between the groups. And another study in PLUS One, Soriano, Maldonado, and colleagues, and uh, they also found that there was, you know, no added benefit for the injection. So adding the intra-articular injection two weeks prior to the exercise program didn't provide any additional benefit. There's this sort of idea, this this consensus that exercise is painful and that it patients are not going to tolerate it very well. And so the idea of going to, to physical therapy, you know, patients come in sometimes and you know, they joke about, I'm in physical torture. Maybe the, the referral sources don't really help with that when they say, oh, man, you know, we, we've got to get you an, give you an injection so that you can go and tolerate PT. You know, you just think about what that does to the patient and what that makes them think about. You know, it makes them focus on the pain. and Oh, man, is this going to be really bad? But in our study, even the short-term benefits were equivocal. So at four weeks, if you just look at the pain outcome of the Womack, where you would expect to see the highest effect efficacy of the steroid injection, you see that there's no difference. And so the amount of pain relief that the physical therapy group received was the same as that of the steroid injection group. And I think that's something to consider as well. There have been a plethora of studies that have shown that education, exercise, and weight loss for the management of osteoarthritis are really beneficial. Why do you think it is that exercise interventions are still not utilized? This is a problem that, uh, in my opinion, goes beyond just the steroid injection and the physical therapy decision. I think while there's some really great studies that I recommend reading that have just come out in the the last couple of years, one in Plus One by uh, Alami and colleagues that looks at Patients and practitioners' view of, of knee osteoarthritis, they interview patients and, you know, try to get their, their perspectives on how they feel about these recommendations and guidelines. And so that's one. There's another study very similar, Barriers to Guideline Adherence in Knee Osteoarthritis, Journal of Evaluation Clinical Practice by Spitals and colleagues, and then one that came out in CORE, Clinical Orthopedics and Related Research. The Participants believe that their knee is, is bone on bone, so they uh, they identify these identity beliefs, these causal beliefs, this wear and tear. They don't trust that exercise. They don't trust that, that doctors think highly of the diagnosis of osteoarthritis. They don't see how physiotherapy can actually improve their symptoms when they're, they're considering that the joint is vulnerable, that it's bone on bone. And so we've got lots of this data. One of these cohorts were waiting on the wait list for total knee replacement. So you're capturing their thoughts and beliefs of the of the conservative management snapshot before they transition to having surgery. So how did you get to this point where you're going to have surgery? What did you think and believe about all these other options? And, and sometimes it's just easier to go through the process in primary care if you only have 10 or 15 minutes and... Uh, you don't really have time to address all of these issues. It, 
it might just be easier to give an injection and you minimize the pain right then. And if you don't really understand these other things and are able to reassure your patient that exercise does not indeed make it worse and help them work through that. Because if you just say that, you know, the patient is going to hear that and they're going to say, well, that, that doesn't align with my experience. You know, I go out, I go up the stairs and, and my knee hurts more. And so you have to help them deconstruct those beliefs that they have and reconstruct them again. And I just think that takes time. It takes being on the same page with the other, other providers in the health system if they're going to you and they're hearing something and then they're coming to me and they're hearing something different, now they have to weigh they have to weigh that information and it's like, well, this is conflicting. Who am I going to believe? And so I think there's lots of issues that re- that revolve around that component of how we deliver care. And I think that's why it's just easier to give an injection. And if you don't really sell the value of physical activity and exercise to the patient, well, they, they might just feel better thinking, okay, I'll get an injection, the pain will go down, and I'll just come home. Going to physiotherapy, sometimes you do have additional visits. i got to drive to the clinic. There's other things that that come into play, so it's not always practical for every patient. In the study, the injection group were allowed to have up to three cortisone injections. There has been some evidence that cortisone can affect the cartilage at the cellular level. Could you talk to us about the mechanisms that are proposed to be involved with that? Let me uh, address this in a couple of different uh, stages here. The first one is we, we tried to take a practical approach. When we look at the, at the data, many uh, in our health system at least, lots of patients get multiple injections. And so we, didn't, we wanted to make this uh, sort of realistic intervention. We didn't want to say you get one injection and we're going to follow you for a year and that's it. And so these patients were just like for the, the booster arms for the physical therapy group, they connected with their physician, had delivered these injections, and so we wanted them to connect and then come up with a mutual decision about whether another injection was something that would be beneficial. So just like in, in normal practice outside the study, you have an injection, you come back, you either feel better, maybe it wears off, you want another one, you have that conversation. And so we wanted them to get additional injections. So that was the mean, I think, was 2.6 injections. So most people had more than than two injections throughout that year. And I think that mimics regular practice. If you look at the clinical practice guidelines published by the American uh, Academy of Family Practice, you know, they clearly state in there that repeated steroid injections for osteoarthritis of the knee are safe and do not accelerate disease progression. Now, that paper is a little bit old, but I think a lot of clinicians just don't think that there's evidence that it's dangerous and, you know, we can just do this indefinitely. There's no problem with that. Well, there's two two things to consider with that. But there's been several studies that have come out and that have really, really questioned that. And so the one that you mentioned in JBJS, where they looked at by when in colleagues and, and they did see that there was a much higher rate and they took data from the osteoarthritis initiative and so there was a higher risk of arthroplasty, um, you know, almost 10% in individuals that had injections. And so uh, it's hard to get to look at this causally. And, and likely what happens is that injections, if you have a higher rate of injection, it could mean so that you have a lot more pain. And so maybe you're someone that's more likely to head down this pathway of having surgery because you're more likely to have surgery. And so it's not causal. It just happens to be a relationship. What I think happens, though, people that are getting injections are potentially represent 
a sample of individuals that aren't getting other interventions. And so maybe that's the part that's that's a little more dangerous, if you will. If you're getting an injection and you think, all right, I've got, I'm treating my knee pain, I got an injection, I'm good. Does that make you get complacent and not feel like you need to work on other things? Maybe you don't take the advice to lose some weight as seriously. Maybe you don't take the advice to get some physical activity as seriously because you've minimized the symptoms for the short term and then it's easy to procrastinate and feel like everything is is fine. It's less of an ownership uh, issue. Another study that came out, in addition to that one, was one in radiology last year. Study was or paper intraarticular corticosteroid injections in the hip and knee. Perhaps not as safe as we thought. You know, they they had a large, uh, fairly large amount of data as well, and they were able to look at individuals that came back. And again, it was like with every additional injection you had, they were able to see increased osteonecrosis, progression of osteoarthritis disease, and more rapid joint destruction and bone loss with patients that are getting injections. So. Steroids can be aggressive in terms of getting rid of uh, the, the uh, stopping the inflammatory process, decreasing the pain, uh, but they could potentially get a little bit too, too aggressive and lead to osteonecrosis and some of this joint destruction. We know that corticosteroid injections can have a profound benefit on reducing a patient's pain, especially their pain at night. And they are still in the AUSI, the Osteoarthritis Research Society International and the American College of Rheumatology's guidelines as being useful with patients with OA knee. Are there any situations where you feel that the injections can still be worthwhile? I'm not going to say no. There's still a place for those. What I think is rarely is something like you should never do this. There's always a time and a place when you leave it up to the, the patients and the clinicians to sort of figure that out. I think we tend to go to the path of least resistance and it's just easier to give an injection. And so that's what I would want to see improved is that dialogue, that conversation, that shared decision making. So you could really get to the point that, hey, we can do this injection to decrease this flare up, but you really need to do these other things and then keep them accountable. Like changing behavior, as I've learned, is probably one of the hardest things to do. And, and that's what we're trying to do in medicine all the time. Those are really, really important. And I was a military uh, physio for most of my career. You know, I deployed over to the Middle East and there was there's always a time and a place for intervention. I would do shoulder injections sometimes, even though, you know, most of the time back here, regular clinical practice, I would really uh, push the value of exercise and activity and, and kind of short sell the, the short-term effectiveness of steroid injections and how it's not maybe a long-term fix. But when you're in, in an austere environment that uh, and you have a soldier that has to go out on a mission the next day and uh, he's not worried about two weeks down the road he's thinking my shoulder really hurts and I have to get in this vehicle with all my stuff on and I've got to go do this I just don't want to have pain right now I just want to get through the day you you can lecture people on the evidence and what's good and bad all you want but you know right then it just seems like the right thing to do is let's get rid of your symptoms so you can get through the day there's going to be unique situations with patients and Certainly, it could be a very strong pain reliever, but how can we get to that point where we can use it a little bit more responsibly with, with some of these other uh, interventions? I think you'll strike a chord there with some of our sports medicine community and the decisions they have to make around return to play. You mentioned shoulder and hip in a couple of your answers. Are you aware whether there's any differences in the effects of the injection in those joints? There's been some studies and meta-analysis that haven't 
shown injection necessarily to be any better than placebo, I believe, in the shoulder. There's actually another study, I think, in JAMA just recently came out. I, I think it was for the knee. It might have been the shoulder as well, showing really that there was the placebo effect of getting an injection, that it was hard to make a case that there was really any value over placebo in terms of reducing uh, short-term pain, which I think is, is really interesting. In your study, you did find that there were clinically significant benefits in favor of the exercise intervention. What was included with the exercise intervention in your study? We tried to be very detailed in the exercise protocol. We published a protocol also in BMJ Open that pictures and dosing of both the exercises and the manual therapy, we tried to talk about in there like what our rationale for progression of exercises, progression of this. We try to make it so that it's reproducible, but it, it wasn't super prescriptive in that when you come in day one, you're getting these things. You know, pe- people have different levels of irritability, I guess, if you will. And so we kind of work with that. I would say that, that a main focus of this, it was manual therapy and exercise, uh, but both of those terms can be a little bit loaded. I think it's important to to ex- unpack those a little bit. So when we specifically use the word manual therapy, it means exercise and I guess the joint mobilizations that go with it. So if there if there wasn't an exercise component, we would argue that that's not the type of manual therapy that we deliver. The goal is to help patients get more out of their exercises and move better. So for example, a patient might come in and they have pain with flexion or they have pain with terminal extension when they walk a little bit. Sometimes with patients with knee away, have a pain kind of locking that knee back in. What you might do is you might mobilize the joint a little bit right there in the clinic and then have them repeat that exercise with the pain potential pain modulation or or whatever it is, even the short-term effects of the manual therapy. It allows them to get more out of their exercise. And, And so the whole goal is trying to make the exercise components. There's a squat progression. I mean, we're really working on the quads, on the calves on getting full range of motion, you know, the, these muscles that are associated with stability of, of, the, of the lower extremity, the hips, the glutes, all of those things, but trying to get them done in, in a more efficient and less painful manner. And so it wasn't a manual therapy program on its own? There's different definitions of manual therapy, just like there is def- different definitions of exercise. So when you say manual therapy, a lot of people think of a passive component that you're just putting your hands on the joint and moving them, that doesn't sit well with people because we know passive interventions tend to not be as effective as active intervention. We've had those studies excluded from systematic reviews because they call it multimodal treatment. Well, it was the hands-on component and exercise, so how do we know what the effectiveness is of both? And I guess my, you know, analogies are never perfect, but maybe the closest one I can think of is we would never break down the effect of anesthesia in a surgery. It's like, well, how, how much of the effect of the surgery was there because of the, the, the anesthesia that was delivered? You know, we would just consider that anesthesia is one of the components of having a surgery. We wouldn't break those down and say, well, we don't really know the effect of, of the surgery because it came along with anesthesia. And so we really, you know, that's a multimodal approach. Sometimes to us with the, with the complaints of, well, you know, it needs to be either exercise or just the joint mobilization. But in clinical practice, you, we don't separate those two together. They go together. Like the exercise is a critical component, and we called it a manual therapy approach, not exercise and not manual therapy, specifically a manual therapy approach. 
we know that weight loss can have a profound effect on someone's knee pain and knee osteoarthritis. And at baseline, both of the groups in your study had BMIs of over 30, making them obese. Did you measure at the end whether there was any correlation between weight loss and the, the reduction in pain? No, that would have been a, a nice outcome, but we did not measure that. One thing that everybody did receive is they all received education that uh, addressed the relationship between physical activity and weight loss and all of the self-care recommendations and guidelines uh, that, that are provided in guidelines. Everybody got that in both groups at baseline. Previous studies have shown that there's a bit of a tail-off in exercise interventions around one year post-follow-up. Your study actually found the opposite, and you included interventions at four and nine months. Do you think there's some implications for how we organize our approach towards knee osteoarthritis in the future? I think it's something to consider. And, you know, there was a great study done by Bove et al. in, in physical therapy two years ago, I think it was. They looked at the cost effectiveness of having these booster sessions. And so this idea that if you come in once or twice, over the period of time for as a follow-up just for sort of a booster can maybe prolong those outcomes maybe they can if you are going to have surgery maybe they can prevent that in our study we did that but we would just connect with the patient at four nine months feel like are things going well do you feel like you need to come in and, and some of them didn't feel like they needed to come in they're doing well but we gave them that option because there's a continuity of care. There was a, a precedent for it already in the literature. But we didn't just limit that to the PT group. We wanted to mimic that with the steroid injection group. And so maybe one of the reasons why in the in a steroid injection group, they are not going back to where they started is because they also came in at four and nine months, just like the PT group did, or they had the opportunity to, and they had another injection. And so you could be seeing the iterative effect of the injections, just as you're seeing the iterative effect of having one or two booster sessions at four or nine months. Maybe the booster sessions are also prevent there from being a, a different substitution for treatment. So for example, you connect with the patient at four months and maybe they're starting to get a little bit of pain then, but nobody's connected with them. And so instead of it getting worse and worse, and then they go back to their primary care manager, and then maybe they get an injection or some other intervention, this stops that from happening by stepping in and providing a booster treatment. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. That's been a super interesting discussion. Hey, thank you, Paul. Thank you for your interest in this work from our team and appreciate the opportunity to share more about this. Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. We wish you all a physically active day.